Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Industry Seating Podcast. It is Sunday, August 8th, 2021. I am your host, Jason Thomas. And today we're going to cover a little bit of MXGP. They were in Latvia, just outside the capital city of Riga, which I was fortunate enough to visit back in 2014 when a Motocross of Nations was hosted there. We're going to cover a little bit of MotoGP. They were in uh, the Red Bull Ring in Austria. And we'll talk a little bit of Loretta's too. And we'll just kind of skim the top of some of these. I don't want to make this podcast super long, especially when it's not a weekend of Lucas Oil Pro Motocross. But I know how it is not having content. So try to get you guys through the work week leading into the return to Lucas Oil Pro Motocross. Let's jump right into it. But first, I do want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Fast Foundry, Blenzol, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, Pro Glow Wash, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. So as for the MX2 class in, well, MXGP series, Maxime Renault, he gets the win and does it in dominating fashion, really. You know, he goes 1-1. And it's not like he won by 30 seconds or anything like that, but he seemed to be in control somewhat. He was able to dispose of Mattia Guadagnini, who is looking to be like the championship contender. And I didn't I didn't see that coming. I thought that this would be a Tom Vial Yago Geertz series, and it has been anything but that. Uh, Tom Vial has been dealing with injuries and crashes and all kinds of things, and then Yago Geertz's knee injury to start the series off really put him behind the, behind the proverbial eight ball. And he's been fighting to catch up ever since, which he has. He's been winning as of late. He was on the podium again this weekend, but he has not really found his way back into the championship fight just yet anyway. So I thought it was a a pretty telling day, almost a changing of the guard type thing where you're expecting one thing. You're expecting the guys from last year and the year before to be the dominating factors of a series. And it's really not kind of panning out that way. Not only do you have Renault and Guadagnini and these younger guys, you also have the super young relative unknowns. Well, if you're a an insider or you follow the series super closely, then you're going to know of these guys. But for especially the USA fans and a casual viewer, guys like Thibaut Beniston, guys like Kai Wolf, some of these guys are not household names and they are really coming to the forefront in the series. You know, you had Kai Wolf winning uh, the second moto last week in uh, Wommel. So those guys deserve a ton of credit. And I just think it shows the depth of the MX2 class right now and how much talent 
there is kind of showing up in that class. And it's, it's really fun to watch. It is a learning process to get caught up on some of these names, because as I said, there is a a bit of a changing of the guard going on and, and superstars are emerging, but the quicker you become familiar with them, I think the more enjoyable the series becomes. Now, as for the guys that I thought would be winning, Geertz was okay. I'll be honest and say I thought he should be better. This was a track that suits his skill set. You know, he is a natural-born sand rider. This track's kind of a hard sand. Um, I almost view it a little bit like Southwick, maybe a little bit harder than that, but similar in that it has a hard base, but it's really sandy in the corners, and it forms fast, choppy, sandy bumps. And it just every time I watch it, it kind of reminds me of that a little bit. And Southwick's kind of weird because Southwick used to be a full-on sand track 20 years ago, and it has morphed into more of like a hard sand. It's just a totally different type of track than even when I started going there. And you go back in the mid-90s, early 90s, and the 80s, and it was, you know, every bit of sand track that you would think of. You know, it's it was much more lommel than in the current Southwick that you see these days. So uh, similar Maybe not exactly the same, but uh, very reminiscent of Southwick. That is uh, Kegums. Now, Vial was my championship pick, and things have gone completely off the rails for him. It all started with that crash he had with Rowan van de Moestijk. Not his fault. You know, crazy practice incident. These things happen. But it certainly screwed his season to, uh, yeah, pretty poor choice of words there. But you just look at what he was capable of and what we all thought he would do. And what it's turned into, yeah, 2021 has kind of just been crap, honestly, for Vial. I do think, though, that with a month to go back home, practice, and hopefully not have any head-on incidents practicing, but get back to form, you know, get back to your normal routine, improve, get your fitness better, get your speed back up, work on your starts, just perfect all of the little things that I think he got away from just because he couldn't ride. You know, when you when you can't ride all of your skill sets get rusty and that starts, that's fitness, that's technique, it's confidence. It's everything that all kind of runs together, uh, to create a world champion. And I just think he's not firing on all cylinders right now. You look at his starts this weekend, they were a direct result of a poor qualifying position. You know, he qualifies what 14th and then he gets bad starts because of it. And he is easily the best starter in this class. So it was just a, a very uncharacteristic day. But I think each step of the process, they all work together to create a good result or a bad result. So if if a few things are off, like your qualifying speed is not there because he hasn't been able to practice, that gives you a bad gate pick, then you get a bad start, then you have to work from the back, and and all those things just snowball. So I really believe that when we come back and we go to Turkey, just at the beginning of September, I think you'll see a much different Tom Bial. Now, that's not saying he's going to go 1-1. It's not saying he's not either. I just think he he will be better, and I think you'll see a significant improvement because a month a month gives you a lot of time. You can make really significant improvement in a month, and I think especially when you have muscle memory there, you have all those all those levels that Tom Bial has achieved before. Your your body comes back to those much more easily than trying to achieve them the first time. So. That's my that's my thesis. My thesis is that you'll see uh, a much better Tom Bial than we've seen in recent weeks. As for the MXGP class, 
Jeffrey Herling's really left one out there. Uh, I listened to the MX Vice interviews with uh, Lewis Phillips just a few minutes ago, and you could just hear the frustration in Jeffrey Herling's voice. He knew he knows he blew it. No one to blame but himself. And I think he's just kind of wondering what happened. Uh, sometimes crashes just go that way. And I, you know, there's a, an old saying that you take your eye off the ball. Um, you know, guys do it in baseball, guys do it in football. It's such an easy catch to make. And somehow you take it for granted. You don't pay attention and you drop it. I think the same thing happened to Jeffrey Hurlings. It's the last lap. I think he had kind of given up the ghost as far as trying to win the moto and he was just going to bring it home. And as soon as he let his concentration slip, you know, just 1%, and instead of focusing on winning the moto, I think he transitioned into, okay, I'm just going to finish the moto and take a second in this moto. I still get the overall and your, I'm trying to think of the right word, but your, your mindset and your approach and uh, just your focus would probably be the best word. They all, they all change, and it's, it just seems like as soon as that happened, that's when he made the mistake. He falls over, stupid crash, four turns to go, and he leaves an overall win on the table. You could just hear his frustration in the night, in that interview. It would have been his ninety second uh, GP win, and more importantly, he gave back a few points to Tim Geiser that he could have. He could have had in his pocket. You know, the, the points lead would have been down under 40. Not to say that's a huge difference, but he needs every point he can possibly get. You know, say there's somewhere between 8 and 11 rounds left, depending on how many rounds we actually run in this series, because I'm not positive that we're going to end up in Bali or some of these places with the way that COVID is going, but we'll see. You know, say 11 is the maximum. He needs to make up points every weekend, you know, because you got to figure that Tim Geiser is going to have weekends where he's just on it and he wins. And that's going to set Jeffrey Herwings further back and Jeffrey Herwings will have his weekends too, but you cannot leave points on the table when they're there for the taking. Because at that point of the moto, a few turns left, Geiser's already, he's already given up too. You know, everybody's already relenting to the inevitable at that point. No one was really making a charge. And then you find yourself upside down, picking your bike up and... And, you know, instead of, what did he get? 18 points in that moto instead of 22. So instead of a 39-point lead, it's 43. Well, I guess it would be 37 because you push uh, you push Geiser back more. So it's a, it's a pretty big swing there. Pretty uh, depressing situation. And I'm sure Jeffrey Herlings will be kicking himself all the way back to, uh, yeah, to, where does he live? Eindhoven area, somewhere like that in, in Belgium, Netherlands, right on the border there. But a frustrating deal for him. But as for Geiser, he was good. You know, in my notes, I wrote good, not great, but it does pay to be solid. You know, he goes two two and he gets a little bit of a gift in that second moto. You know, he wasn't good enough to be Hurlings on the day, but sometimes you don't have to be good enough. You just take what's in front of you. He's got the points lead. He did beat the guys that are right behind him. So he beats Febra both motos, which was critical. He beats Cairoli both motos. So the the guys that are the, the closest threat to him, he beat. And that's always something something you can hang your hat on, right? So I'm a, I'm a big subscriber to the theory that only worry about the nearest threat. And if you extend your points lead from what it was, then you're doing your job. And he did that. You know, it, it doesn't matter if maybe you're the most concerned about Jeffrey Hurlings. That's fine. But the nearest threat 
is Roman Fevre, and you extended the points lead to 13 over him. So in that, you get a second. Uh, in the second moto, you end up winning the overall. I think you just take it and move on. You you take the gifts that are there to be taken. You take, you know, you never, never uh, be disappointed about an overall GP win, regardless of how you got it. So decent day, get a month off. You go back to some tracks now where I think will favor him, especially Turkey. It's a hard pack track, kind of a weird venue, not too far away from Slovenia, I guess. But I just think the terrain and the style of track favors uh, Tim Geiser's skill set a little bit more than it does Jeffrey Hurlings. So they get two rounds there on Sunday and a Wednesday before they go to Sardinia. And that's more of a sand track. So that would bounce a little bit back more towards Jeffrey Hurlings' style. But those two, those next two rounds coming up on a Sunday and a Wednesday, I think will be critical because that's a lot of points in just a couple of days. And if you rack up two wins, just think if Geiser wins two overalls in a row on a track that works for him, what the series could could be looking like compared to what it does right now. So not a bad day. Again, I don't think you could ever say it was a bad day when you win the overall. But I also think Geiser's leaving there realizing he wasn't quite as good as Hurlings was on the day either. So there's there's something to be said there too. Jorge Prado wins that second moto. Good ride from him. He was able to fight off a, uh, a hungry Jeffrey Hurlings, also a hurt Jeffrey Hurlings. But either way, I thought Prado managed the race from the front. He did everything he needed to do. He was able to withstand a few different runs a few different times from Jeffrey Hurlings to try to make a break and, and steal the moto away. And I think he's maturing nicely. He, he looks like he belongs at the front of this MXGP class and his, you know, his physical fitness and all the things are right in lockstep with the mental steps that he's taking as well. Now, I did want to talk about his aggression at the beginning of the first moto. That was pretty wild. That was out of character. Not really sure what was going on there because that's not what we're used to seeing from Prado. And if you don't know what I'm talking about at the beginning of the first motor, right off the start, I mean, he hangs a hard right in front of his competitors, in front of Hurlings and Geiser, and it's kind of all over the place, Get making sure he gets the start there. And then he goes at Hurlings incredibly hard on the first lap. And it was just something I haven't seen, I don't know if ever, from Prado. And I don't know if it was an intentional move to try to kind of establish himself or send a message to the rest of the field that he's not going to be pushed around. I'm not really sure. And I specifically went out of my way to listen to the MX Vice podcast before I recorded this because I wanted to hear if they mentioned anything. And Lewis Phillips pressed hurlings on that move from Prado and Prado didn't really say anything. I don't think Prado or excuse me, I don't think that hurlings uh, understood exactly what Lewis asked. And that's unfortunate because I I don't think that Hurlings would kind of shy away from something like that. But I was just curious to see what was happening there because it just felt so out of character from Prado. You know, Prado is usually a rider that lets the race come to him. He manages from the front. No wasted movements. movements. He's incredibly efficient. And he just looked like he was kind of out for blood there. So I don't know. I'm going to ask around and see if there's anything there to it. But even Lewis sounded like he didn't know exactly what was up there. Uh, just an interesting little dynamic. And I'm wondering if it's something we're going to see more of from Prado, if he's just going to try to get more and more aggressive with these guys. And 
let him know that uh, that he's there to win. I'm not I'm not real sure. I have more questions than answers with that. So uh, maybe maybe I'll get some answers in the coming weeks. I'll reach out to Lewis and some other people and see if uh, yeah anything was mentioned. Uh, Tony Caroli, not a bad day. You know the crash didn't help, but he gets a third in the first moto. And you know I listened to his interview and he didn't really talk about it too much. But I have not really seen a lot of luck for, from Latvia for him, you know, going back to motocross nations in 2014, he hurts himself there and I've just seen him on the ground and have tough days in Latvia. I think he hurt himself there a couple years later as well. I I don't have it right in front of me. I, I, I probably should have researched that, but I just feel like I've seen him hurt himself at this track a few times. So to leave there with uh, what do you get? Three, six, something like that. Uh, not the end of the world. Um, but he really needs to get some wins if he wants to win this series. He's got to put pressure on these guys, and you can't find yourself on the ground. You can't make mistakes because these guys are for real. Geyser is too consistent right now. I think Hurlings is going to win a lot down the stretch, and uh, you're just going to have to pick up every point that's possible. Roman Febra, not great, not horrible. I felt like it was similar to Cairoli's day. He goes uh, 5-3. He just didn't seem to have that elite pace uh, like he did at Lomo or some of the other races where he was able to get out front and really push push his own pace and kind of set the tone for everybody else to have to respond to. It seemed like he was on his heels a little bit more than it has been the last few weeks. And it could be just a track thing. It could be, you know, you never really know. Um, he just didn't seem as sharp as he has recently. Now, he's only 13 points back. No big deal. Uh, you know, it's. I think he's in a really good place for the championship. It's just going to come down to can he win and can he stay on two wheels and, and probably the latter because, to me, he's pretty loose. Uh, it didn't seem too bad today. You know, he's, he was able to, to stay off the ground for the most part, but he just seems like when he really gets on the edge that he he pushes past his own limit sometimes. And, and that's fine. That's what it takes to win sometimes, but – he has just been on the ground more times than I think it's for his own good this season. And, and he's going to have to reel some of that back in uh, and just find a way to, to up the consistency a little bit. Now, I will give him credit because even in the midst of those crashes, he's fought back and gotten good points in those motos too. I just think about what if, right? What if he doesn't crash? What if he doesn't make a big mistake and those crashes are erased? What does this championship look like? He could very well have the red plate if you remove a few of those crashes. That's it for as far as rider guys. I wanted to keep this kind of short. The top four of this series are within 18 points. And then you have Jeffrey Hurling's 43 back. So he's kind of lurking back there. He's going to have to win a lot after missing those three motos. But overall, I mean, this series is pretty nice, right? You have a to have four guys within 18 points, you have a lot of parity, a lot of different winners. You don't really know what's going to happen every time the gate drops. We don't even have guys like Jeremy Sewer and some of these guys up into the mix either. You know, Koldenhoff hasn't really shown up per se yet, and, and I think some of that will happen. So uh, just makes for a really nice series when you don't know. And we've had lots of series over the years where Cairoli was the guy and Hurlings was the guy and Geiser was the guy and it wasn't all that exciting because it was almost just a runaway gate drop. Best guy wins onto the next week. Well, right now you don't really know. And you could be placing your bet all over the place and have a really good chance of being right. So that that's my favorite kind of racing is, is when there's a ton of parody. So a month off 
They don't race again until September 5th. That's right after the, uh, the labor, well, I guess it would be Labor Day weekend. Uh, Sunday of Labor Day weekend for the USA. Of course, that's an American holiday. So for them, it doesn't really matter. They will just be off to Turkey. That track's kind of a weird venue. Um, it's in the middle of nowhere in Turkey. Good luck pronouncing the name of the city that it's in in Turkey. But just from you know asking around, it wasn't uh, one of the rounds that was recommended to me to visit. Uh, I don't really have any particular desire to visit the country of Turkey. I would like to visit Istanbul though. Ton of history going back to the Constantinople days. But when you talk about rural Turkey at a motocross track, I think that's a hard pass for me. So I will wait until we go to Sardinia, September 17th for myself to rejoin the series, but I will certainly be tuned in as they visit Turkey. Lots of time off, as I mentioned, kind of with, uh, Tom Vial, I think these guys can make some significant strides. Jeffrey Hurlings will be fully healthy when we see the series return. And it'll be interesting to see who can take steps forward, you know, with the bike, with their fitness, with their speed. Uh, because again, you know, you have a weekend off, you can get a little better, you can recover, you can be, get back to full strength. But you talk about a month off, there can be some big changes when we return. And I don't know which way it's going to go for who, but I just know it from my own experience when you give the series a month, uh, you can have some pretty big changes when we, uh, when we reconvene in September. So that's it for the, uh, the MXGP series and really enjoyed watching today. Um, yeah, those, those races are pretty cool. And anybody who's never been to an MXGP, I would highly recommend going, pick your favorite country, you know, France, Italy, something with a lot of tourism that you can make a weekend out of it. Motocross the nations, of course, you know, hopefully we get back to a normal, feel of motocross of nations this year. I don't know if we'll be there yet because of COVID it's just still strange times, but you go back to, you know, the 2015 and 16, 17 motocross of nations, you know, France was an all timer. Majora was just insane. Those events are just, there's nothing like it. There's absolutely nothing like it. And it's just a matter of when it's not, if it's when we get back to some normalcy, uh, but I just could not recommend visiting a race like that anymore. Now, MotoGP, for those of you who don't know a lot about it, I, I highly recommend getting into the sport. It'll take some time, right? You're talking about Europeans. I get it. You don't know who these guys are. Weird names, weird bikes, weird tracks, all kinds of different lingo. It's it's pavement. It's not dirt. Like there, There's a lot to get used to, understood on all of that, but it is very similar. It's motorcycle racing. There's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of crossover. Most of these MotoGP guys are huge motocross fans. A lot of them train on motocross bikes during the week. So it's not as, you know, it's not as different as you might think. Uh, these guys are all super familiar with what's going on, whether it's Supercross or MXGP or all that stuff. So to me, it's all one big happy family, even though it's a significantly different discipline. Now, as for your winner, Jorge Martin, that was a hell of a race. Uh, incredibly impressive from him. I think that was only his sixth start in MotoGP. And to lead like that and, and hold off Joanne Mir, I mean, what else can you say? Really nice race, a lot of poise. And he just looks a lot more mature than he should at this age and at this stage of his career. And, and I don't know Jorge Martin. I've never met him. I don't know a lot about him. But I probably should learn because he looks like uh, he looks like a superstar in the making over there. Now, Joanne Mir, I thought he was going to win because if you if you've been following the trends and 
just the way those races have been going, Suzuki has been able to wear other teams out and other riders out with their tire durability. And they've had really good fuel management, which has gone super easy on the tires. At the end of the race, if you allow Alex Renz or Joanne Mir anywhere near you, it's almost like you're dead meat because they're going to have more tire edge at the end of the race. And that wasn't the case today. So surprising. I just felt like it was a foregone conclusion that Joanne Mir would just kind of eat Jorge Martin alive at the end of the race. And, and he wasn't able to do it. So kudos to Ducati, uh, Primac Ducati team for obviously getting that bike dialed in and, uh, yeah, allowing Jorge Martin to have some tire left. And of course, kudos to Martin for being able to navigate, uh, the entire length of the race and save some tire, but also a nice ride for Mir. Uh, I was disappointed he didn't win. I, not that I care who wins, but I was, I guess, disappointed that my prediction didn't come to fruition anyway. Fabio Quartararo gets third. And I mean, he, this guy's going to be champ this year. I, I, I'm ready to declare that. You look at the way he's able to be consistent on every track and he doesn't have to win. That's fine. Just put it on the podium. Just keep, you know, keep racking those points up because you're beating the guys that matter. The Zarcos, you see Jack Miller crashed again today and he's just there week in and week out. And when the wins are there, he takes them. When they're not, he gets a podium or he gets a fourth or a fifth. And that's how you win championships. Now you can be dominant and win every race like Mark Marquez. That's fine. But traditionally, most guys just let the series come to them. They win when it's there. They get podiums and top fives when it's not. And they, they manage the bad days and the tracks where the Yamaha doesn't, isn't the best suited like a track like Austria. They have a good day and they get on the podium and Yamaha historically hasn't been very good at this uh, Red Bull ring. And that shows how strong Fabio is because he's able to still get on the podium. Mark Marquez, I mean, just struggled today. You know, I don't know or have any inside information about what's going on, but he didn't look right in the race to me. I'm just starting to think that that Honda is just really far behind because if you think about, you know, Mark wasn't able to ride for pretty much a year, you know, his hurt, his arm was basically reconstructed. They bring on Polis Bargaro pretty late in the process where he can't really test because he's still contracted to KTM. So he's not able to develop the bike. I'm not sure how much development work that uh, some of the other guys were doing, whether Alex Marquez was involved or, or who is doing development work, but it just looks like they've been left behind a little bit. And I could be totally wrong. That's just my perception. Uh, I'm not an expert on MotoGP, but when I watch and when I ask around, it, that's just the feeling that I'm getting is that the Repsol Honda is just a little bit behind everybody else because of some of the external factors. Now, I think that they'll catch up. You know, I think that the Honda is a pretty difficult bike to ride, which probably isn't helping anything because the consensus is that the motorcycle takes a really aggressive riding style. You have to kind of manipulate it and it is a difficult machine to go fast on, but that's what Mark Marquez is good at. But if you take a Mark Marquez that's injured and not a hundred percent and not able to ride it the way he wants to then he's probably going to suffer. And that's just all kind of correlates back to what my theory is, is, uh, yeah, it's, this is a lot of, uh, a lot bike related and not so much Mark Marquez. And we'll see how that goes. We'll see if they're able to close the gap, especially going into the winter months. And, uh, I'm sure he'll have some good races down the stretch here. He'll go to tracks 
that suit him. You know, if we go to Austin, that race ends up happening in October. I mean, Mark has been dominant in Texas, so I'm, I'm sure he'll be really good there again. Um, but just kind of a bummer. I'm, I'm a big Marquez fan and to see him struggling running around in the backside of the top 10, uh, isn't a lot of fun to, uh, to watch. Maverick Vinales is the last guy I had a note on. I don't know what the hell is going on with him. Uh, he stalls it on the warm up lap. I mean, I'm sure that can happen to anybody, but it just seems like a comedy of errors with Vinales and, you know, and, and he's leaving Yamaha at the end of the year. Sounds like he's going to Aprilia, which is just a really strange turn of events. You know, he goes from one of the premier factory MotoGP teams to Aprilia, who is certainly getting better. You look at Alicia Spargo, who's improving, but you can't compare Yamaha and Aprilia. I mean, that that's not a fair comparison, and nor should it be. So I don't know what to make of it other than Vinales just isn't happy, and he's searching for anything to kind of turn things around. Because it doesn't matter how good your equipment is. If you're not happy, then you got to make a change. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, it's just a really strange tale that uh, that is Maverick Vinales right now. So that's it for this week. Thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to all the sponsors. Again, Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Blenzal Oils, Works Connection, Fast Foundry, Premier Vapor Blasting, Grant Stone Boots, Pro Glow Wash, 612 Suspension, and Fly Racing. Wanted to keep this one short this week because, of course, the focus of this podcast is American racing. Uh, Lucas Oil Promoter Cross, of course. I did want to mention also Loretta's. I should have added that before the commercials. The only thing I really wanted to say was, man, was Levi Kitchen good. Impressive rise from him this week. He was clearly the class of the field. But I do think Chance Hymas is kind of next for that series. Or for that series. But for amateur racing... Now, the question is, is when Romano moves up, when some of these other kids move out of the B class into the A class, and you have uh, a battle at the top, what is that going to look like? I just think we're going to be in for a great Loretta Lynn series next year when you look at uh, look at the talent between the B classes and the A classes. So Levi Kitchen's full-on pro now. Looks like I mean, Jet Reynolds was supposed to be, but he breaks his collarbone. Uh, but just a great weekend, week of racing at Loretta's. I really enjoyed watching it. And I'm glad I didn't have to go. I, I did not want to make the trip to Tennessee, uh, being completely honest about that. But I do enjoy watching it. I think the uh, you know the Racer TV crew does a great job. And it's just nice to have the technology that everybody at home and, and at work can, uh, can tune in to such a great week. For those of you who've never been, I have such a love-hate relationship with Loretta's because it is, you know, there are so many memories of my childhood that were formed there. But every time I go, it's so hot and so humid, and I don't really have a home base to kind of hang out at. So you're just in this sweltering heat, and you're back and forth to a hotel that I'm kind of miserable, to be honest. But it is a great time, and there, you know, so much of my childhood was wrapped around that week, Loretta's, and training and practicing, and your hopes and dreams and all that stuff. So it is, it is great to return there. But every single time I get there, I'm like, man, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> it's so, so hot. And uh, yeah, I'm just re- I'm also ready to get out of there as soon as I get there. So I have this weird love-hate uh, with Redolin. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you next Sunday after Unadilla. See ya.
mistake. 